Hello, and welcome to Mental Health Insights in the Bible. My name's Craig, and Matt's here with me. This, Very excited to be here. Uh, so am I. This is our third episode. This is the podcast where we connect mental health insights found in the biblical narrative. And what Matt and I have found in our profession is that as we explore and understand mental health issues that come up and research, a lot of it's already talked about in the Bible, and it's maybe talked about in a little bit different cultural context. We want to unpack that. Yeah, there are so many times where I've listened to other psychologists talking about their research or therapists talking about evidence-based approaches where I think to myself, I've heard this before. Uh, this makes so much sense because I've already seen this played out in scripture, but it's not word for word what they're saying. It's found in the story. You have to look for it, but it's there. Right. And today, what we're specifically going to talk about is we're still in Genesis as we're just going through this. There is the creation of man that happens in uh, Genesis one twenty six, And then we're actually going to move a little bit into chapter 2 where it, it talks a little bit about rest. And, and there is um, just even at the end of chapter 1 where they talk a little bit about food. And we talk about, you know, man's purpose and tilling and working the land. So we're going to unpack some of those things and, and what we know about them uh, as kind of where current research is standing and kind of looking at the biblical narrative and what it was trying to communicate during this time as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it might be helpful if we read a little bit of uh, what Genesis is saying here about specifically food first. Um we, in Genesis chapter 1, uh, starting in verse, I want to say, let's start with verse 28, but it, it really continues throughout, I think, the rest of Genesis 1 here. Um, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, we had talked about dominion last episode but I don't think we can get away without talking about dominion as it relates to food and work and rest, some of the topics of our conversations today. It it feeds into all of that. Right. Um, moving forward, verse 29, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, and everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Wow, so this is the first time that we kind of get a little bit of a picture um, it, it appears to be pre-fall in Genesis. God is providing for his creation that uh, there is a certain sustenance in the food. And in this case, it's all greenery, right? Mm -hmm. It's all it's all fruits, vegetable, all the different things or whatever may have been around um, in the garden. And the cool thing about this is since, since this is before the fall, what we know is that as the text kind of continues on and we kind of find out a little bit later whenever Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden is it's easy to grow things here. 
there is a sense, especially later on in chapter two, where Eden is actually described. It is, it is a place of abundance. It's a place where yes, uh, there really isn't a lot of scarcity, which Mm-mm. is kind of what we experience at, at different places in the world today. Yeah, and whenever we think about food, most of us are, are, are working and we're earning income and different things so that we can actually purchase food, and. Whenever we live in a society where food is, like like for Matt and I, where we live in the United States, there is a lot of times an abundance of food. Yes. And, of course, that's not the case everywhere in the United States. Um, But there's an abundance of food. And what can happen, and what we're kind of reading here, is that for those in the garden— the animals and for you know later on as they kind of get named Adam and Eve oh man they they don't really have to worry about that there there is an mm-hmm. abundance to eat yeah, all absolutely. of the all of the plants that bear seeds are for them to eat yeah to not have to worry about what you will eat how you will survive where you will sleep like god was providing all of these needs for them in fact like he said it was good, right? That that they should live in such beauty and such lushness. Um, and he had a hand in that as well of providing it for them. Even though that we're getting a little bit into our second topic, but they were required to work the garden. Well, he was a part of that as well. Moving into the chapter 2, in verse 5, he said, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and watering the whole face of the ground. And then God moves into creating man. Um, but like God had a hand in cultivating and keeping this, this food fresh, keeping this food alive. Well, and there's a cool passage, right? Uh, and God says this quite a few times, be fruitful and multiply. So there is, like if we kind of look at this, there's an assumption that there is going to be enough food for this to be possible, mm-hmm. that the humans, the creatures, they can multiply and there's still going to be enough food. Yeah. This is an abundance type of thing. Even that word fruitful, as he calls us to uh, to expand, fruitful refers to the thing that he created, fruit. Right. Well, and if, if you think about this, right, so like the, the Bible is meant to be read into in this context a lot of times. The only way that a plant bears fruit is if it has enough nutrients to actually provide that. Um, If it does not, then it will not actually be able to bear seed or it will bear seed that is not going to really produce a very strong plant Mm -hmm. or anything like that. So it's actually going to be having a hard time multiplying. So whenever it says like be fruitful, I want you to also kind of think about this as like it's kind of like be healthy, be strong be able to be in the place where you can multiply, right? right. Th- this is an all abundance language. And for us, whenever we think about 
abundance language in psychology, well, what abundance does for people is it gives them the freedom to be creative and to explore the world around them because mm-hmm. they don't have to worry about food, right? right? Food and water, whenever those kind of, you know, I th- I'm thinking of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. right? Like whenever like your food and water is provided, it gives you the opportunity to kind of move into the next stage, right? right? Where you can actually be a little more curious about your world. You can explore, you can yeah. take a little more risk mm-hmm. because you're going to be provided for yeah having that safety knowing that you're okay gives you so much more freedom and courage Um, and that's what adam and eve coming into this world needed as they were called to have dominion subdue the earth multiply Um, they needed to know that their most basic needs were always going to be met and god was meeting those right well, and let's kind of talk a little bit about scarcity. So, right, we're at the point of the story where scarcity isn't really a thing, uh, but it's going to be here pretty soon as we keep on watching, you know, reading whenever uh, Adam and Eve get cast out of the Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. the ground becomes hard to plant in and there are thistles and kind of like, you know, what we would consider yes. weeds that they are going to make it hard to grow plants out of it to grow you know seed bearing that we can actually eat out of the ground and so for us in this world that we're in now scarcity is something that exists and what that means on a mental health kind of standpoint is that whenever we don't have access to consistent sources of food or anything Mm -hmm there becomes a panic that comes in. There's a fear. And I I think a lot of us have probably experienced this with COVID, right? Well, by the time we're (laughs) recording this, um, you know, we're still experiencing different, like, you know, food shortages and in different areas. And and what food shortages mean for us in a first world country is that like, they might not have my favorite brand of pizza at the store. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not really something that's a huge inconvenience, but I mean, we had a a shortage not too long ago of uh, baby formula. Yeah, we did. I remember me and my wife freaking out a little bit as we were on that last stage of our baby coming off formula. Uh, Can we find our specific brand. It's not on the shelf as much. We had to find it in these little pouches. Um, but the the fear was definitely there. Will our baby be okay? Right. So like whenever we operate in that place of anxiety and fear, a lot of times what we call that in psychology, we call it like survival mode, right? Mm-hmm. Like the fight, flight, freeze. And the thing is like whenever we operate in those, our mental capacity becomes severely diminished where um, our cognitive capabilities of planning for the future of logical thought rational thought all that stuff really resources in the brain get diminished in order for uh like other areas of our brain to get really amped up to help us survive and this become i mean this is a very challenging place to live in because the more and more that you're in this fight flight or freeze the harder it is for you to relate to other people emotionally that it tires out your body it tires out your brain because it's like kind of mm-hmm. an, an overdrive it uses and consumes a large amount of resources yeah. and whenever food's a problem well you don't really want to be consuming a ton of resources correct because you're not you know putting a lot into your body but I think the the other area that we kind of want to move in to talk a little bit about is that the the way that food is in our life right now is also in a fallen nature, 
right? This is talking about food that's coming from the ground. So like, you know, whatever you want to call it, all natural, GM, you know, non-GMO, whatever. <laughs> um, Organic. Yeah, sure. that, that you want to call it. That people um, now, we have so many options for food and there's so many different things that are added to food that there's a certain amount of things that we have to be concerned about with food mm-hmm. and that is that like food is something that you know if there is an abundance we can control how much we intake and there could be a certain amount of pleasure that we take in consuming food and different things like that now the bible doesn't directly speak to any of this mm-hmm. but what we do know is that the god provided a certain food right it didn't say that god rose up mcdonald's from the ground and you know it didn't say that like there's a you know papa john's pizza and you know all this different stuff mm-hmm. uh, all around and it's the fruit that was coming from the ground. So it wasn't like there was this, actually, you know what? I can't even say there, it's not like there wasn't this huge variety because they could eat every plant mm-hmm. <laughs> that was there besides, besides the one. The, yeah, <laughs> besides that one tree, yeah, that um, unidentified fruit. Yes. And so for, for us, it, it might be kind of hard to wrap our minds around. We have so many different types of options of food that it becomes really easy for us to see food as a sought after item because a lot of us at different times in our life, there has been a certain amount of scarcity, right? I just said this to my son mm-hmm. the other day. He wanted some Twizzlers from the store and I was like, hey buddy, no, we can't get Twizzlers from the store. You know, it gives you short energy is what we call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, it's not really great for you to eat. And uh, he's like, like scoffed at me. Like, I cannot believe that we could not get this, mm-hmm. you know, the, you know, Mom and dad don't usually say no to different types of things like this. Mm. And that was his first experience, maybe. Well, probably not his first experience. One of his experiences that he's probably going to remember because he brought it up today again <laughs> of scarcity. That right. Like, oh, wow, I may not always get what I want. Mm-hmm. Some things are not going to be good for me, right? Um, I'm reminded of that every time that I'm about to eat a, a something theme from the the microwave a microwavable meal uh or i'm about to feed my son something and my wife reminds me or she asks hey how much sodium's in that um because in my family especially we have a history of heart disease with my grandpa with uh my father and that's something that i have to be concerned about too man i really love salt uh that food that has that sodium in it sometimes it's food I'm really drawn to and yet I have to be concerned about what I put into my body now knowing that food is tainted because of the fall did they have to worry about that before was that a concern of theirs when they were living in abundance I'm gonna gather to say that they didn't have to worry about overindulging because they were living in this perfect society right but today living post-fall, absolutely, I have to be concerned about what I put in my body. Right. And like the foods that we consume, you know, they, there might be some malicious intent about it. Right. So I think that like, you know, adding different things that like sugar to breads and, you know, different things like that, that make us want to eat them a little more. This creates a a challenging thing that we see a lot of times in our sessions. Matt, I know that you probably have more experience working with this than I do, uh, where we get around different eating disorders. 
and kind of being in a scarcity and abundance type of of area it's really easy to create eating disorders because if there's you know easy access to food especially easy access to food that tastes good or, or the way that your brain uh kind of receives it as almost like you know it can be addictive in, in some ways then it becomes easy to kind of tune up the amount of food that you're consuming and mm. tune down because of the availability of yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I had worked with eating disorders for just about a year or so. It was my introduction to counseling, essentially. Um, and whenever there are so many other disordered things in our lives or things that we do not have control over because every good thing is tainted, um, not just food. Uh, but food is the thing that is so much more personal to every human being. It's one of the first things that is being talked about that is good for for every living thing, for us as, as mankind. Um, we can have a much greater sense of control over food. So if we don't feel like we have control over very much in our life, well, guess what? Sometimes that comes around food. Right. Well, and... If you get into a place where, um, you know, with food being tainted and you become unhappy with how your body looks, this can really influence, you know, what types of foods that you consume. We have so many different options of different things that once we start kind of making those choices and we're unhappy with that, it's very common for people to talk about like, oh, I want to go on a diet or I want to, you know, or different things like that, right? And there's all kinds of, all kinds of, you know, theories and you know all kinds mm-hmm. of avenues with different things like that and i think the the main part that we want to focus on here is that food it because it is such a fundamental part you have to eat to live it is a relationship that all of us have and what it looked like um, with just reading a little bit of this, it was a relationship that was established very early mm-hmm. uh, in the biblical text, right? It, oh, it literally, after God created man, talks about the dominion, and then talks about how, how you know, God has all these herbs and, and different things, uh, tr- you know, f- seed-bearing trees for the people to eat. It is a relationship that is established very early on. And each of us have a relationship with that. And whenever that relationship kind of falls a little bit into disrepair and we don't really think about that relationship and we don't um, give it time and attention, then just like a lot of things in our life, it can fall into some type of disorder. Yep. That's absolutely right. Um, The fact that we have to be so mindful of all of these good things that we have in our life that are disordered is of course a result of the fall. It is not the way that God intended it for us. These are secondary blessings. He remains the first and foremost blessing. If we treat all of these other good things as foremost, they ultimately end up hurting us in extreme ways. And food is not uh, divided from that, separate from that. Um, But interestingly, also with food, as it kind of leads into work, after the fall happens is one of the first instances that we start to see food being expanded. Because before the fall, it was everything that was in the garden. The fruits from the trees, 
green plants for all of the creeping things and the birds of the air. But after the fall happened, we began to see, it's not named specifically, but it's hinted at that death of some of these living creatures came to be. And we began to be able to eat the meat uh, or use the, the wool of sheep, for instance, um, to provide for our needs or to clothe us. Clothing was also pretty big. Uh, result of the fall. Um, but we see that in the uh, sacrifices or the offerings that were first made to God by Cain and Abel. Um, it's insinuated that Abel made an offering of the firm, f- first and foremost of his, sh- his flock of sheep, which signifies that we give to God a portion of our food back to him. The very thing that he gave us for life, it already belongs to him, and we offer it back to him. We see this come to play with the way that we tithe and give our money to God. It already belongs to God, and we're just giving a portion of it back to him. But really, we saw that with food all throughout Scripture. Well, and this is such an important thing because you may be sitting here like, well, why does God need that? God doesn't eat. Um, there are, you know, mm-hmm. what, what, wherever, whatever machinations you may have of God. But the thing is that this is a mindset that God is wanting people to be in. Mm-hmm. It is this abundance mindset, right? Uh, you know, any of you that are familiar with psychology are probably, probably familiar with the, some type of self-help book that talks about abundance, um, you know, abundant thinking and, and different things like that. And this is something that we kind of see right here is mm-hmm. that like if we operate in this mode, it's better for our body. And if we're able to actually operate in this mode, then being able to be in a secure enough place to give a portion of whatever food that we have to God in, in this way, which is what they were doing, or, or like Matt's talking about tithing later on, is an act of faith that if I do this, I'm still going to have enough. Absolutely. I think it triggers that part of our brain, too, to say or to challenge the the fear, to challenge our fight, flight, or freeze response. Hey, I'm actively pushing against that, and I'm choosing to believe and trust that no matter what happens, I'm still going to be all right, even if I give my first and foremost of my paycheck, the first and foremost of my flock, which is really the first and foremost of their paycheck. That's right. where their, their, their wealth came from. Um, that God's going to still take care of me. Yeah. And that's a, it's a big deal, mm-hmm. right? So if we kind of, and food is so many different messages here in, in the old Testament throughout scripture and especially in the gospel and, you know, being able to give and being able to offer and being able to kind of go from that place, right? That condition in our heart. We see this a lot of times as people pray before they eat too, mm-hmm. right? It is a, an intentional thing to put God first yeah. and also an intentional way of being like, all right, I don't have to hurry up and eat this food right away. There is going to be enough, right? Right. Giving thanks where, where thanks is due, but also as a way of kind of training our body, in mm-hmm. some way. And it's hard because like whenever we look at eating disorders, a lot of times controlling that food consumption part, like Matt was saying earlier, it, it can be a, a way of dealing with stress or having some type of control 
be a way of trying to like alter our body mm-hmm. and, or even some ways of like abusing our body. We also see that there are, you know, later on in scripture where they talk about fasting like withholding food Mm -hmm. and like it's incredible if we kind of look at a lot of this uh, research around fasting now where you know if people go uh, large portions of time where they're not eating where there isn't actually a huge degradation of the body in fact it actually switches over into a very restorative mode even after as little 16 hours of no food Mm -hmm. is consumed Um, and you know there isn't this the body does not instantly die you know, yeah. uh, for lack of food. It's able to actually be sustained by the food that I have before. It has these mechanisms for, for storing it. But of course, this can also be used in a very destructive way. Yes. Right, where people do not consume enough food, and whenever they don't consume enough Consistently food... Consistently. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, their body doesn't actually have the resources it needs to function the way that it was meant to. Right. And, you know, clearly we're seeing that God is providing in a way to allow for that, but it is our responsibility and part of our dominion to be able to have a type of control over that that, that is healthy. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard to do. And I think this kind of goes on to uh, another thing with, with food and, and maybe even a, you know, even a larger point that I kind of want to make. Food is very, um, you know, it, it's something that's usually done in groups in the Bible. You see a lot of communal food mm-hmm. consumption, gatherings where people are sharing. Again, that's that abundance mindset that if I am uh, making a big meal for you know my friends or my community or anything, I'm going to have enough even after that meal is to continue to provide right. uh, because God has given me and blessed me with so much. And there is also a, a piece of this that whenever, whenever we think about God is blessing us with so much, God is giving us with so much, and we think about like where food comes into that, and we think about like where pathology comes into that. Whenever we eat around other people, that means like we're trusting other people, we are engaged with other people, so that we can kind of keep each other accountable in certain ways too. Right? If I am sneaking food because I don't want my wife to know about it, what does that say about my relationship with my wife? What does mm-hmm. that say about what I'm doing? Right? If I I have guests over and I'm like, oh man, like I got, you know, I, I got some steaks in the fridge and I could go ahead and make those. But you know what? I think that instead of that, I'm going to go make some burgers because that's a little bit cheaper. I didn't, you know, I'm not ragging on, on people whenever I'm saying that. But what I'm saying is that for us being able to have a condition of our heart of there is enough, God is providing. Right. And that community aspect, too, that like people can see what I'm eating and they can have knowledge of it. They can join me in it. Mm-hmm. And we can kind of balance each other out because we as, we as humans – we're not good at doing this alone, right? One of the first things that God does is make a helper for Adam because he says it's not good for him to be alone. We need people. We need each other. Absolutely. We see that come post-Christ as well, after he ascended. But part of what the uh, new church was called to do was to commune together. And Acts 2.42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread 
and the prayers. We were called to kind of revolve around food and life and community, relationship together. So much so that, well, Adam was walking with God in the garden. As he was consuming food, as he was living, he was doing this work alongside of someone else. And then Eve, as she came as well. Well, and how big a deal is this, right? That we are designed to do this together, right? We're designed to do life together, and we are sustained together. Like mm-hmm. we, we know this, that socially a person put in isolation, uh, there's a degradation of the brain that happens in a very major way yeah. in a very short amount of time. Uh, it's only like a couple of weeks to a month that it, the effects become permanent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's just not how we're designed. And, you know, we're not really talking about the social piece as much today, but, but we will on, on future ones. But there is a lot of times where food is there. And yep. it makes sense whenever you think about a person that is consuming something that is like sustenance also is doing it with other people and other people help sustain us as well because God is sustaining all of us, right? Yes. And God works through people. Yes. Um, but I, I'm going to go to hurt us a little bit, right? So yeah. We're going we, to push it's, off. It's and, easy to keep talking about this. There's a thousand more things I want to say. But uh, if we can start moving into the subject of work, because work so closely ties into food, like we were saying at the beginning, uh, we work in order to get food. Part of what Adam and Eve were called to do was to work uh, in order to live, to tend to the garden. That's part of why God put Adam into the garden, uh, to to work it. Right, to till the land, to mm-hmm. be able to help this garden flourish. And that says something about us as human beings. We're not meant to sit around all day and, and just mess yeah. around. That there is certain purpose behind work. And has that expanded over time? Well, yeah, it definitely mm-hmm. has, especially since the fall, where we have a certain purpose to provide something, uh, you know, even back to you know us having dominion and taking care of and naming and doing all these things that that work you know that we have been called to do we really want to exercise that work piece and, and we see this often I think that the probably most glaring example in psychology is if a person retires and they don't really have a lot of activities they do they usually end up dying yeah, it's crazy yeah. uh, to see how, how fast that can happen to a human. Part but, of where I see people yeah. struggle so often as they come to counseling, I see many people who are in that life transition of, what do I do now that I'm retiring? Who am I now after I've retired? What fills me up? What gives me joy? What gives me a sense of purpose and meaning? But part of what God's sense of purpose and meaning that he was giving to Adam, sure, work the garden and keep it, to glorify me, to be in relationship with me. And I think that we can think of work today, not just as what we do for a paycheck, but work can be so much bigger than, than just that, um, can take up a, a lot more uh, of our life. And I think it does relate to what we were talking about last week in dominion and subduing the earth. Well, what is our kingdom in our little world, our little kingdom look like the piece of dominion that we have, like you were naming 
you know, last last session, getting to mow your your yard, yep. and how good that feels to cultivate and take care of this little piece of land that you own. But even more than that, like with our family, to to be in right relationship with our spouse or with our children, to love them and nourish them, and cultivate their hearts. Like we are working in those moments, whether we think we are or not. Right. It's the most important work. So I think you're right that this does definitely go beyond like an occupation where mm-hmm. Matt and I are counselors, but work is also, you know, expanded to like taking care of family and being able to kind of be there for others in your community and whether or not yep. that's volunteer work or you just kind of being you throughout a normal day. Yes. Right. Um, and so I think that in, in our society here in the United States, we really have a propensity to define ourselves by, by our work. Mm-hmm. And that can be a dangerous thing sometimes because it can be like very limiting. And, yeah. you know, work is something that is, is wonderful because it is something that helps us glorify God. And it's something that gives us purpose. It's something that we're built to do. People that experience depression usually experience a huge downtick in energy, and it makes it harder for them to do things. And a lot of times this can lead to different existential crises because they are starting to lose track of purpose because they're not working as much or they don't feel like they're kind of working on something that matters or that they have any hope in. And this is something that's really dangerous because, like I said, human beings are built with a purpose. This right. is something that, that we know. This is something that's well documented and researched. And whenever we lose that purpose and we lose eyes on that, it makes it really hard. And, and yeah. in a culture where you know we might see work as purpose, we lose sight of the reason work as purpose is because it is to glorify God. Yeah, it was created before the fall happened, and God said it was good, right? That is so beautiful, and yet it's, of course, tainted and disordered now. But I have this love-hate relationship with that word retirement, too. Mm -hmm. Um, It's good. I, I love that my parents were just able to retire, and yet we don't retire from work ever. It will continue to exist in the new heavens and the new earth because it is a good thing. And so to, to change our mindset about maybe what work means, how we continue to move into the goodness of what God has called us to do to glorify him in whatever it is that we do. Right. Well, and even just kind of looking at that, like hierarchy, um, our purpose is to glorify God, to be the image of God, to reflect God in the world. And for us, you know, as we kind of talked about even the first episode where we kind of move away from that, that's usually whenever disorder starts. And mm-hmm. a lot of times some of the first signs of that disorder starting is like whenever we start to focus, we start to see our work as something other than it is. All right, when work stops sustaining us, and that means that we're probably a little bit off the mark with, with purpose. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to get a new job. Sometimes what that means is you need to refocus on God, because if you can refocus on God, then all of a sudden meaning comes back into your life. Purpose starts coming back into what you're doing, mm-hmm. and sometimes that does resh- you know that does shift your priorities. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, if uh, you know. 
for example, I've had experiences in my life where um, I haven't really liked the work I've been doing. Um, you know, as I as I kind of look at this and I reflect upon it even just now talking about it, a lot of times it's because the, the people uh, in the church that I was going to, I was absent for a large portion of time because of the work that I was doing. Mm. So because of that, I started to lose, lose focus on why I was doing this. Yeah. That your work was happening in isolation, you mean? Yeah. And that you weren't part of a community with your work? Yeah. I definitely feel that too, Craig. Um, the moments where I get to connect with my team at my practice and consult with them and hear about their lives it fuels part of my work. I feel this in my particular career, at least, that sometimes it can be a little isolating with coworkers because it can be session after session after session. And while I love all my clients, I really do. I love you all if you're listening. Uh, and I need to connect with other people who can know me too, um, to work alongside of other people and know I'm not alone in this. Um, it does give that sense of, I'm in this with someone else. I'm included. I belong. And I think that's part of why God even gave us this sense of work. Right. Well, I think that this is probably one of the topics that we'll continue to expand upon as we kind of read through Scripture yeah. because it is such a central part. Yeah. But we kind of want to take some time to explore another central theme. So at the, you know, you kind of get into, you know, at the end of of Genesis 1 you have God created man you, know, you had the sixth day then you have a, an excerpt that we're going to camp around a little bit at the beginning of chapter 2 where it actually talks about the, the seventh day and God actually resting and I'm just going to kind of take a moment to read a little bit of it here this is chapter 2 and uh, we'll just start with uh, why don't we just start with verse 1 mm-hmm. thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all of the and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work. Ooh, he ended his work in which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it, he had rested from all the work in which God created and made. So for us, whenever we kind of look at this, all right, we want to kind of, why did God rest? Was God tired? You know, in our understanding of God and even kind of later on, that it really isn't the reason. It seems mm-hmm. that there is something about after you're done working and being able to have a break that is central to being human. Because later on, God expects this of uh, the people that mm-hmm. he kind of joins with. He expects this of the um, you know, the nations, the people groups and everything. Uh, there is always this rest happening. And for us, this is pretty easy in, in psychology to make connections to. People get ran down if they work all the time and really being able to have a break mm-hmm. um, really helps revitalize like not only the body but the mind it helps us refocus on things and this is more than just like a vacation break it's about consistently taking a break from work 
I, I, I think of this. I don't know why. Whenever I was thinking about us talking about this, um, it's kind of like if you spend all day cleaning your house, right, and you're done, and the next day you wake up, and it's that seventh day, and you're like, all right, it's a day of rest, and you just walk throughout your house. You smell the clean smell. There's no dishes in the sink. The laundry's completed. You're just walking through your home. And everything is in order. Everything's in the place. There is a certain condition that that kind of fulfills inside of us. And it makes it easier for us to connect with God. Mm. Because whenever we aren't focusing our attention on other things, it makes it easier for us to take that time to actually focus on our creator and actually have the relationship with them. And... um, really actually be able to allow that to deepen because you know what if i'm in church and you know during worship or anything like that it's all great but if i'm sitting here afterwards like man what am i going to have for lunch or Mm -hmm. like oh man i got these chores to do or anything like that right we're not in the present we're not engaged we're not not in that here and now moment that worship truly requires us to be in Absolutely. And we, we hear, so, you know, it, it's great, right? Going back to this, right? And God blessed the seventh day, chapter two, verse three. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it, he had rested from all the work that God had created and made. So why he blessed it. All right. So he made it holy. Oh yeah. Yes. So sanctified. Yes. Yeah, set apart. Mm-hmm. So for us, we, we need to read those and understand like, okay, so there's something a big deal about rest here. And this kind of goes a little bit back to the abundance with food that we're talking about that the work that you do in the six days is going to be enough to cover the seventh day. This is a theme that happens throughout the Bible again and again and again. I'm always kind of drawn back to like whenever uh, the nation of Israel was, um, you know, they are in the wilderness, right, in Exodus. And um, as they're going through the wilderness, God provides manna, right, this, you know, bread, this Mm -hmm. sky bread that, you know, gets rained down. And um, he says, hey, you don't collect it on the seventh day. Yeah, take enough on that sixth day so that you can eat on the seventh. Yeah, and that's a big deal, right? That's a hard thing to trust when you're out in the wilderness in the desert and you're like, oh, gosh, gosh, am I going to be able to eat? Right. It takes us right back to what we were naming of what was going on in Eden, right, of trusting and knowing that I'm going to be okay. When we live in that place of abundance, yeah, we can do that. When we're living in that place of scarcity as they're wandering through the desert, it's a lot harder. And resting is a way of practicing faithfully yes. that I am going to trust that there is going to be enough. Yes. So not only is it good for our body in a restorative way, it's good for our connection with God because it is a very physical way that we are showing that we trust that God has provided enough for us. Absolutely. That we can go ahead and not work on this day. And what you have provided in the days before is going to cover me for this day as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I love what happens on a Sunday as we try to move into that place of rest. Um, and, you know, in in scripture, technically that day was on Saturday. Um, but since 
Jesus has come and he rose on the third day, which was that Sunday, the Christian faith has now shifted, you know, our quote unquote day of rest to Sundays. Um, but on Sundays as I go to church and I'm worshiping and I'm not truly doing a lot of my physical work that I would do throughout the week, I'm doing so many more restful things than just the physical rest. I like to think of rest in kind of multiple categories or gauges, as I call them, because to be human means that we have so many different parts of us. Mm -hmm. And God made all those parts. Um, But to think holistically, you know, we have a social part, a spiritual part, a mental part, an emotional part, and yeah, sure, a physical part as well. But for me to rest in all of those categories and all those gauges i kind of think of it like having fuel in the tank for each of those um the thing that i might do to rest might look different for each of those places but sometimes they overlap and so as i'm sitting there in a pew listening to a sermon or standing and singing praise with all of my my neighbors and my fellow brothers and sisters in christ the rest that is happening for me spiritually is I'm connecting with Jesus. I am building relationship with both God and my community. I'm fellowshipping. Um, I'm not doing active labor. I might be sitting, I might be kind of lounging or relaxing. Um, emotionally, I am letting my heart go through the, the gambit of all of the feelings that I've been struggling with over the past week. I mean, even this past Sunday, I remember my wife and I sitting there listening to our pastor and he's talking about suffering and grieving as he's talking through just the first bits of, of Job and he's sharing his own experience of of losing his brother-in-law and that moment of just sitting with his wife and crying, not able to say any words. And it brings tears to my eyes and we're both sitting there weeping with each other and with people around us. And what rest that felt like for us, both right. emotionally um, as well as spiritually and socially and emotionally and mentally. Um, just we need yourself that. be. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think that there's something about this rest specifically for human beings. Our body, our emotions, our, you know, uh, spiritually we break down if we don't have this rest in a really practical sense. But again, making that time and space, and we kind of see this in a couple different ways where the field of psychology kind of tries to enter in this in usually a pretty unsuccessful way. And um, I'm sure people will argue about this, but that's fine. Um, like yeah, We don't have to agree on yeah, everything. Mindfulness okay. and meditation is one of them. Yeah. Where people will be like, hey, like you just meditate a little bit. You're kind of getting a little bit of a taste of like, you know, you're getting a bite out of the pie. But mm-hmm. God's trying to give you the whole pie. Right? right. You're giving yourself 15 minutes to sit there and just be. God's trying to give you a whole day mm-hmm. to be able to do that. Yeah. And to really be able to focus your attention, your efforts on you know, the one that provides right. for you so that you can kind of get into that abundance mindset so that fears and anxiety that you have don't really have to exist um, in the in that time. And it's kind of hard, right? So we got a lot of, gosh, again, you know, a lot of what I would call cheap knockoffs where it's like, mm-hmm. hey, we're going... We live in a world of self-care right now. That's right. Our, our culture. And it's it's a good thing, 
right? There's oh, there's truth in all of that as well. And on some level, like you said, it's a taste of, it's a shadow, I think, of what Eden was supposed to look like. Right. Well, and I think you're right. right? It is a, it's a taste, cheap knockoff. It's It doesn't do fully... And there's reasons, right? You can do research around it, and you're like, wow, like meditation's great. There's tons of research around mm-hmm. it. That's why, like, meditation apps and everything are so popular. Yep. Um, and you know what? If you do that, continue to do it, right? Mm-hmm. This isn't me telling you not to. It's me kind of hopefully revealing why it works. It's something yeah. that was, you know, talked about right here, chapter two, um, you know, of Genesis. To be able to step into a place where you are focusing on leaving the work aside so that you can focus on God, your relationship with God, and just be you mm-hmm. without any of the worries, the fears, the hardships that come with working. And, you know, if if a taste is what you need in order to kind of move fully into what truly God is wanting for you, sweet do that you know i'll sit here and do meditations with clients and and sessions sometimes and Mm -hmm. you know to varying success but if they're able to kind of really get into it they're like man this was this this was great and i always kind of want to say after that to be like you think this is great wait until you can possibly step into what god is actually wanting for you around this rest and it's something that we have to train ourselves in especially in current society i mean it's difficult to be able to step into something that is is very restful and you know i think that you know just kind of backtracking a little bit too right because you know someone's going to listen to this and they'll email us on it i'm sure that you know i was saying that like work can also be you know, spending time with your family or doing different things with your family. Well, that can also be rest too. Yes, I can. Right. I work with my son to, gosh, what is it that we were working on the other day? Like he's working on some type of project where he's making this art project. And like, it is work for me because like getting him not to color all over our table and different things like that. Um, but I, I had time constraints on it. Right, we get dinner on the table. I just got home from work. All, all these different things that that kind of line up. Whereas, like, if I have the day just to spend with my son, well, that's not quite the same as work. I can still provide discipline. I can still provide structure. Um, there can still be different activities, and experimentation, and all this different stuff for him to help him grow. But because I don't have these other pressures or the other stresses, the condition of my heart is different towards it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, whenever I play with my son on the ground and I, you know, wrestle with him, I think that that is work. Even though it's doing something different to my heart in that moment than how I feel whenever I'm actually sitting in my office. It's good, good work. Not to say that the other isn't. And yet there's also this reality of it does give something to me. I don't think work always takes away. It gives something to us as well. That doesn't diminish the need for resting and taking that time to say, do I know who I am? Do I know whose I am, who I belong to? Can I trust that I'm going to be okay for the next week, for the next day? Trust in and who God has made me and who he promises he is and what he's going to do for me. Right. And 
I think a lot of where we see this dis- disordered things come into play is whenever we have a hard time trusting, whenever people have hurt us, when they've yeah. damaged us, and it makes it hard for us to trust in God, right? Or yeah. if you know we're around people that have misrepresented God or, or anything like that, you know, we got hurt, you know, church hurt. I think is a common term mm-hmm. here that we may have even spoken about here. Um, but we we get into this place where we've been hurt and it makes it hard for us to trust. And these are practices that are meant to help us gain trust. I yep. mean, think about it. In, in this early story, God is establishing trust with Adam and Eve by like, hey, here's your role. You know, here's what you do. Go ahead and name these different things, right? Go ahead, like you're going to have dominion over these things. Here's food for you to consume, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to be with you to help you learn and help you develop, right? There's walks that they take in Eden that we can, mm-hmm. they, they kind of have later on. Um, and, and for us... It's good for us to kind of get a little bit of a picture of this because it gives us an idea of the intention behind it, but also helps us know why there's some certain things that work. You know, whenever I sit in my counseling uh, sessions, one of the cool things is, um, you know, early on in my career, you know, you, you think that whenever someone comes that you got to like convince them that counseling works and hmm. that just isn't really the case today. But there's a lot of research about why counseling works. And we know that it, it works because you're sitting there and you're talking with someone and God works through people. Yep. So because God works through people, having someone talk, listen to you, you have that that shared space, they're, they're empathizing, they're understanding, they're feeding into you different things that God is feeding into, right? Whenever there is a an understanding, a common understanding, a common love and empathy, that, that compassion that is displayed by another human being as God working through them. Mm-hmm. And there is God in that space. And there's God's a lot of times in these sessions that we have, mm-hmm. even if we aren't necessarily naming that. Yeah. And, you know, it lights up our brain, right? Whenever someone else is kind of on that same, you know, our face mimics them, our brain lights up the same way. And it helps us know that we are recognized, that we are seen. And this is something that we're going to continue to explore as we go through the text. But it's really cool even just to kind of extrapolate some of that stuff early on in this text in Genesis. Right. Yeah, these are themes we see come up in counseling all the time, but it's showing up in the very beginning of scripture. Um, I love this. I love this so much. I know that we probably need to wrap it up here soon, um, but I'm very excited to continue talking on these things because they do come out, uh, come up throughout all of scripture, work, rest, food, sustenance, relationship, community, fellowship. Um, we will continue this conversation next time. All right. So thank you so much for joining us for this episode here today. Hope that you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, please consider giving us a five-star rating or leaving a review so that other people can find this podcast and hopefully be filled up by it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to Mental Health Insights in the Bible. This podcast is conducted by two licensed professionals in mental health counseling, but this podcast is not meant to provide medical or legal advice is not a substitute for personal counseling. The song on our podcast is called Indie Folk by Alexi Action, found on Pixabay. 
If you are listening to this and feel that you may be a harm to yourself or others, please reach out to professional because we believe your life is worth it.